out, you can't do it all in the cloud. And thus, we have the rise of edge computing. What is edge computing? What are the use cases? Are you likely to be building or supporting an edge computing cloud? And is that something different from a local data center? We find out on today's Data Knots podcast. At PacketPushers.net, you can find us in all of our Datanauts shows about infrastructure engineering or just search for Datanauts, spelled like astronauts, in your favorite podcatcher. You can follow us at Datanauts underscore show. I am Ethan Banks at EC Banks, and with me is the fabulous Chris Wall. He's at Chris Wall, and he's so into edge computing that he built his own infrastructure as a service company to lease spare cycles on his laptop while he's at the coffee shop. To discuss edge computing, we've got... Alex Marcham. He is a previous guest on the Packet Pushers Network, although this is Alex's first appearance as a data nut. Now, Alex, we've talked before and recorded before, and I kind of think of you as a hardcore wireless guy. So how did you get into edge computing? So, hey, Ethan. Glad to be on the show. And do I get some kind of special helmet for being a data nut? Because that, that was what I thought was part of the bargain. So, exactly. Um, Wait, yes. why, why is only just... Ethan getting hello? Am I chopped liver here? Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Can't forget about Chris. Go ahead. Go ahead. Don't let me derail. So, um, yeah, so I actually became interested in edge computing because of wireless, really. I mean, with, with wireless networks, you know, we're all used to dealing with limited bandwidth that they can provide in comparison to wired networks. And in many of the networks that I deal with, you've even got a wireless access segment that's fed by wireless backhaul. So you've got potentially, you know, twice the limitation. You know, you've not even got a wireless access point that's connected to, you know, gigabit fiber. So, You've got to be very careful in um, what types of data you plan to send up that wireless backhaul, and that leads to what can we get away with not sending up to the cloud, and how can we make that a bit more efficient? So I started doing more research into content delivery networks, you know, CDNs, because typically in a lot of these networks, uh, you know, transmitting streaming video over the network is a huge use of bandwidth. And the best way to cope with that in my book is to bring that video content as close as possible to the users. So it has to travel the least amount of distance to get to them. And then I really started seeing edge computing as kind of the smarter brother of the CDN. And the more I read into it, really, the more use cases I saw for it and more interesting things that it could do for us all. Well, all right. Well, let's start at the top then. Uh, we, you kind of gave us a hint there in, in your discussion of, uh, of why you got into edge computing, but put a definition on it. What is edge computing? The funny thing about edge computing is that if you Google it, you'll get about 500 different definitions as to what it actually is. So I'm going to try and attempt to wrap these all up very nicely without anyone getting too upset at anything that I'm saying. So wish me luck. Basically, the idea behind edge computing is to bring the compute and data storage resource that we depend on in cloud data centers today for you know innumerable applications and services and everything else that we do. The idea behind edge computing is to bring all of that as close as possible to the people and machines that need it with the idea of improving performance, um, saving on the cost and time of data transmission, and hopefully opening up some new applications along the way as well. Okay. Now, I have heard of fog computing. Is that the same thing? So fog computing is kind of an interesting case um, that originally had started as a Cisco proprietary marketing term. And some people in the industry have kind of picked it up to mean a system where you can use any kind of uh, compute resource that's in the path from a centralized data center to a user's device. What I tend to think of is edge computing is like a platform and fog is more of an application that could run on top of that platform. Okay. It's Yeah, I've done some digging into fog computing as well, and I kind of feel the same way. It's not a computing paradigm exactly. And the folks that are in that space of fog, it's more like extremely localized processing 
like pulling data off of some piece of factory equipment, processing it on some little box that's attached to that piece of equipment, and then shipping it off to wherever it's got to go for maybe more centralized processing. It seemed to be the big idea I was getting from that. Yeah. Yeah. What are you pushing to the edge? Is it the compute only or storage as well? Because certainly technologies like that have existed with server-side caching and whatnot in the virtualization world for a while. Or, or is this really just focused on the network itself, like putting network equipment near the user? Help, I'm, um, I'm not quite. I'm not quite there yet. I'm trying to get there. Yeah. So, so what I what I tend to think of is putting the compute and the data storage as close to the users as possible, and then depending on the network setup, you may have some extra network resource there as well. I, I think of it as taking, you know, the capabilities that we would have in, you know, say a centralized AWS data center shrinking those down to a manageable extent and then putting that as close to the user as possible. So you'd have all of the potential, you know, elastic um, resource allocation and all that kind of stuff just closer to the user so that they can hopefully make more efficient use of it. Seems like really fancy remote office branch office, almost like that kind of size perhaps, but more complex with maybe some, some more commercial or enterprise level gear instead of, you know, buying stuff from Best Buy or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if you look at some of the size of um, some of these, you know, what would be called edge data centers, which would be the, the primary method of actually implementing edge computing, you know, they can range anywhere from, you know, 50 to, you know, 150 kilowatts of, of, of gear. And they would be deployed at somewhere like a cable network head end, a cell tower, um, you know, perhaps next to a stadium or something like that with a large concentration of users. Really kind of a, a step up from kind of a do-it-yourself with gear from Best Buy, like you were saying. I think another part of the equation here, Alex, is uh, is latency factors into this. And I go on about latency on, on data nuts quite a bit because I think it gets ignored in some application design because folks think you connect to the network and you can do processing and it's all magical. Yay! But latency is should be really a major part of application design. How does it factor in here with uh, with cloud computing and edge computing? So the most important thing about latency in the edge computing context for me is that today we're dealing with, uh, you know, centralized data centers, typically a very small number of very large centralized data centers that may be hundreds or thousands of miles away from their intended users. So even though network transmission today is very fast and very much faster than it used to be, we're still dealing with the ultimate limitation of the speed of light, which, although itself is, of course, very, very fast still contributes to latency over these long distances. And as well as the actual data transmission latency, you've got switching latency, you know, routing, any congestion or delay that occurs along that path and all the jitter and possible congestion-based loss that that brings in as well. One of the things I always like to refer to when I think about why is latency really very important, I mean, I'm sure you've seen some of the uh, statistics for how quickly users will switch away from a web page that seems to be responding very slowly. And uh, I, I know that certainly my own tolerance to you know a page that seems to take one or two seconds too long to load has been drastically reduced in recent years. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure, sure you have. Like two seconds? Who has time for this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've lost interest by that point. I can't remember what I was doing. I'm just, all right, done. I'm, I'm annoyed now. I go back to whatever I was doing before. So I like to talk about human-scale latency and then machine-scale latency. It's like a human-scale latency. If something takes, you know, 100 to 200 milliseconds kind of back and forth, that's really on the acceptable level of human latency. But then if you think about who are most likely to be the users of the Internet kind of going forward, it's increasingly going to be machines and things like sensors and cameras and you know, autonomous vehicles and things like that. And those are really designed for you know, machine-scale latencies closer to 
10 to 15 milliseconds. So I see this as kind of, we need to have this infrastructure in, in place in terms of edge computing before we can really think about deploying those kinds of applications on a large scale as well, if that makes sense. Hmm. Well, you, you hit on an important point there, which is we think of networks and their use cases a lot of times in terms of applications that humans are interacting with. I'm sitting at a web page. I'm sitting at some kind of an app and interacting with it. And then how long does it take me to get answers back? Machines are also now, machine-to-machine networks are also becoming increasingly prevalent as machines exchange data for purposes of a whole variety of things. A lot of the machine learning and artificial intelligence is tied into that. You mentioned sensors earlier, which is a different equation. You said, I think, 100 to 200 milliseconds humans can handle, but machines are more like 10 to 15 is really where you want to be for those. Yeah, and it's just what really strikes me is the the number of machines that are anticipated. I'm sure you've seen all of the vendor and you know regulatory body predictions of how many IoT devices, for example, and autonomous cars and things like that will be connected to the internet by say, you know, 2020 or 2025. I mean, it's it's predicted to be you know millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of devices, and you know some of them will say, you know, billions of uh, IoT devices, which will all be ideally designed to operate with these kind of machine scale latencies. So my thought was, as you said, you know, one to 200 milliseconds, I don't really know of anything that I connect to that's slower than that. So really, the crux of the problem isn't the people. It's what you're saying with the IoT and the machines using the network. 10 milliseconds is is not really very feasible for a lot of things that I do. Even when I was out in the West Coast connecting to a game server or or whatnot, I'd get 30 to 40 milliseconds, you know, round trip time on a lot of that stuff. I very rarely saw less than 10. So really, we're saying edge computing solves that particular problem. It's not going to necessarily be targeted as a primary use case for human level latency solving. It, it depends on the application. I mean, primarily, I see, you know, the easiest application to highlight is those machine-based applications because it's easier to understand because they're, they're new applications. They have different tolerances to latency than us. I think we'll probably talk a little bit further on about the different classes of applications and things like this. But I basically see it as applications that need to be built for edge computing to really operate in a feasible manner, things like very large-scale IoT or autonomous vehicles, things like that. And then another class of applications, which would be edge-enhanced applications, for instance, things like you know, a game server, a web server, or a CDN that will function today on a centralized cloud, but could be improved further by being deployed on edge computing instead, or in addition to today's cloud. Before we dive into that, I want to follow up on a point that Chris was making, which was about the storage and the data that is being Well, it's being generated, but then it's got to be stored and processed. So that factors into data locality. We've had that discussion on data nuts in the past, too, more in terms of distributed storage arrays and data centers, but it, it factors in now with edge computing. Can you talk a bit about data locality and why we care in the context of edge computing? Sure. So I think from a network perspective, the most interesting thing about the data locality that edge computing can potentially enable is that you know, the closer the data is to the people who need it, the less network resource it needs to be able to reach them, right? So I'd much rather transmit, uh, you know, a gigabyte of data over 10 miles than 2,000 miles, right? The cumulative use of network resource to do both of those is is massively different. And obviously, if I can transfer it from a closer location, that's always preferable to me. Another part of data locality that's very interesting with edge computing when we're talking about not just storing data, but also processing it and running applications on it, is that some of the data that we could handle in a very localized way with edge computing infrastructure is not just 
stored locally, but it's also produced locally and can be consumed locally as well. So for instance, think of like a video surveillance network is one of my favorite examples of this. So imagine like a, a citywide video surveillance network, say it has a thousand cameras, um, all of them running at 1080p, 30 frames per second. They may be generating on average you know, five megabits of video traffic 24 hours a day. Obviously, that's a, that's a lot of data, and we want to be able to store and uh, process that as locally as possible rather than send it to the cloud. Why locality is also interesting in that sense for that particular application is that we can store all of that data and process it locally, and then we can just hand off the needed parts of that. For instance, perhaps the police have a you know, warrant out for a particular person. We have identified them in the video surveillance footage. We only need to send that particular footage to the cloud where they can access it from a centralized point rather than having to send every possible piece of data from the entire video surveillance system up to that centralized point. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I remember setting up a video surveillance system for a car dealership, and each local camera would not send data unless it noticed motion, because you just don't want basically a still image being blasted over the wireless network in perpetuity. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool feature. I mean, this is a while ago, but it was a pretty cool feature where it wouldn't activate the network stream back to the NAS unless it noticed motion. So it's a very dumb example where you're talking about like the, the intelligence there is not very sophisticated, but if it could potentially tie in and say... You know, I see Alex, his, he, we have a, a, an all-points bulletin out for him. He's this crazy guy. You know, like all of a sudden the camera starts sending data. That would be pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, and then if you think of, um, you know, the edge with the processing capability you could put in an edge data center, not just the data storage. You know, you could have an array of, uh, you know, uh, processors and GPUs in there dedicated to the machine vision processing of all of those cameras. And it becomes potentially feasible to just do that in a, fairly small footprint at a local level, you know, which is which is pretty exciting, I think, in this uh, in this kind of use case. One other thing I just wanted to briefly touch on is not only is some data produced locally and consumed locally, like in that video surveillance example, the consumer being the you know the video processing application running on the edge data center in that case, but some applications can also make use of some data that is only feasible to have for the local area and it's only useful for the local area. So one thing I like to think of is Imagine if you had an edge data center that's deployed at a cell site. So the cell site has all of this you know, local radio information coming in, like the uh, types of clients that are connected, the number of people connected, who's connected, are they moving, You know, all this kind of stuff that is only really useful to that one local cell tower. The data center and the applications running it could potentially access that stream of data and then be aware of all of that information, such as who's connected, are they moving? Okay, maybe I have an edge data center over the other side of the city. User A is moving across the city, and he's going to be connected to the other cell site. So I can preemptively shift his instance of the application over to this other edge data center on the other cell site so he gets better performance. All those kind of things become achievable as well if we think about how to make use of data that is very local in scope. So that's also kind of an interesting use case for me as well. You know, data locality, it, it comes up a lot, especially in the server and virtualization world. There's always been people attempting to design concepts and architectures and whatnot to really just solve the problem of moving data to where it's needed. You know, server-side caching, cache intercepts. There's a lot of different ways where we try to soak up whatever reads or writes are necessary and put them right into the compute layer. So the idea of making an edge data center, kind of air quotes model, to where we're pushing this in a more extreme and holistic use case makes sense to me. What was on your mind, Ethan? 
the rise of the machines. In other words, so many of our apps seem human-focused, but yet many of the applications that are being written now are relying on data coming from other machines. So M2M, machine-to-machine networks, machine-to-machine communications, machine-to-machine APIs, growing as the data we pull from sensors grows. And that does seem to be affecting network design and our overall IT architecture as we consider what the needs of those applications, those machines are as they talk to each other. That appears to be the future. And I know for me, I'm so used to thinking from the human user experience that thinking about the machine and the application user experience is kind of a weird way to go. And yet that matters. All right, Alex, let's dig into use cases, because frankly, that's kind of the the meat on the bone when it comes to talking about technology, how we use it. So let's start kind of in the reverse, the negative of a use case. When does it not make sense for data to be sent up to the cloud and then back to the endpoint, you know, which would kind of solidify the edge computing use case here? Mm -hmm. So I think we kind of briefly mentioned a couple of these, but to me, it falls into two real camps that make edge computing a must have. And then there's a couple where, you know, you can you can see it improving things that already work today. But let, let's focus on the ones where you need it because obviously those are the most interesting, right? So for me, that gets split up into two main camp. First of those would be things where you need real-time data. So, you know, very, very latency sensitive tasks like... So, so real-time as in literally real-time where you don't have the milliseconds to ship something up to the cloud, have it be processed and an answer shipped back to you. It's got to be done that quickly. Yeah, if you think about um, examples like very important sensors, for instance, things in, things that would detect gas leaks or you know possibly alert of any kind of industrial accident, things like that. You know the brakes in your autonomous car, for example. I don't really want those potentially losing data on the way back to the data center and taking you know 200 milliseconds to communicate to the you know, coordination server that's you know 2,000 kilometers away. Well, wait a minute. So, like an autonomous car. Is the edge computing in the car or is it still going outside the vehicle to some processing off of a tower or something? So that's an interesting case because there's two pretty coarse definitions of where you could put edge computing in my book. So I have on the operator side of the network, you know, for instance, at the cell tower, I talk about the infrastructure edge, which would be the edge data center that I've talked about before. You know, that's the the closest point that the operator can get to you logically and physically. For instance, it's right next to the cell tower, and that's where the car could offload, um, you know, a lot of its processing to. And then you would have something called the device edge, which would be using some of the processing capability in the car itself to you know, perform some very low latency action. So I'm kind of combining those two concepts together when I talk about edge computing at the moment, because it's really, you'd have a gradient of um, use between the infrastructure edge and the device edge, depending on the immediacy of the task. So for instance, something like the brakes, you may want to process only in the car itself. For instance, the signal from you know the, the engine control system to the physical brake. But then if you think about an array of other things that a car has to do if it's emulating how a person drives, right? Let's say you're driving down a street and you see a stop sign. It's kind of bent or it's got you know mud on it. And you can't clearly identify it. Obviously, we want the car to stop, but it's very unlikely that every possible situation that would make a car need to brake will be very obvious and you know textbook for a machine to identify, right? We, we do so much processing and inference with our senses that a machine is unable to really do in the same way. So the ideal way to do that is in an edge data center, which has enough power and uh, collaborative results from other cars to cross-reference to, 
to be able to identify those situations. Does that make sense? Okay, so it, it is. So the, there are certain things you must process at the device edge, as you put it, in this case, of the vehicle, because the decision has to be made immediately. And then there are other cases where, well, if we had a software algorithm that was a little further away that could help us interpret things or collect that data to make that detection better in the future, then, yeah, you can ship that out. And, and I guess in that case, going back to the original question, that wouldn't necessarily be real-time data as such, I guess? I think it really depends on the definition of real-time data. I mean, you could see, um, for instance, something like braking, you know, that signal from the uh, car control to the physical brake needs to happen, you know, basically instantaneously, right? But for instance, to identify whether the car should brake, because then you've got the other side of the, the other side of the argument being, you don't want the car to be braking seemingly randomly, because that may also cause accidents as well. So I would say that the actual visual processing that the car has to do is something that can be done on that kind of 10 to 15 millisecond machine scale latency. But then the actual, you know, I need to hit the brake now needs to be done instantaneously within the uh, the car device itself. If that makes sense. And we've gotten off on a rabbit trail a little bit. But, but in any case, the point is certainly an autonomous car isn't going to be shipping data up to the cloud and waiting for a uh, interpretation and then a decision to be made about what it needs to do. So that that's an edge computing use case, you know, with a variety of different ways you would implement that. But uh, what, what else have we got for real-time data? Right. And I think to me, those are, those are the, the best examples. They're things that, you know, typically the, the link is data that can be both generated and consumed by machines. Because if you have a person in the way of, you know, any one of these situations, they're pretty much going to be the biggest piece of latency right, beyond any actual technical limitation that we have. Um, one other application that um, may not seem very latency sensitive is things like uh, augmented and virtual reality. I always like to think of like a virtual city tour kind of thing. For instance, if you're wearing like a Google Glass type contraption and uh, walking around, say, New York City, you can imagine having a you know virtual tour app on that, that as you physically look around, it uh, interprets and processes the video stream that you're seeing and will highlight things, you know, here's the Rockefeller Center, here's the Empire State Building, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing to bear in mind with those is that um, due to the volume of data that needs to be transmitted and the latency, um, edge computing is really the only way to do those feasibly because with things that superimpose augmented or virtual reality over an existing video feed, um, I don't know if you've ever used kind of a, a virtual reality headset that's not quite calibrated or something properly, but it gets very uncomfortable very quickly. Yeah, you get motion so, sick. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's 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 kind of it's kind of strange almost, isn't it? Because if you if you use it, you think surely this this is just like a video, isn't it? But that that delay between your head physically moving or you recognizing something and it being you know highlighted or displayed to you is is really very jarring, and and uh, you know it's you get kind of yeah motion or kind of travel sick almost from it. Yeah. Interesting. When you were talking about the other kind of use cases, I was thinking maybe an example that the audience can kind of grok a little easier. I know that when I'm on my cell phone and I'm asking Google Maps to give me directions, it can work offline and it'll give me just basic, here's how you get from A to B. And so obviously that processing is being t- you know is taking place locally. But if I connect to the internet, obviously then I get traffic details and collision details and it's a lot much more intelligent, more robust experience. So in that case, I'm kind of thinking it's a little bit hybrid, you know, like the bare necessities, the things I need to get from A to B are just intrinsic to the device and all of the other kind of bonuses, you know, the, the user experience and the additional features are actually being crunched on the back end servers that are running Waze and Google Maps and whatnot. So it, it resonated with me. 
Yeah, that, that's a very good use case for it, actually. And that, that's the kind of example where that's going to generate a lot of local data as well, right? You can see that if you're not in, you know, I don't know, New York or something, I don't care what the traffic is like in New York, right? But um, if I'm in New York, then I want that to be done as fast as possible and hopefully use as little, you know, network resource and, you know, possibility for loss or introduced latency as possible. So, um, yeah, that, that's a very good example, yeah. Although in New York, you could just permanently mark it as bad and you're going to be right 90% of the time. So it's, <laughs> it's not a whole lot of IoT needed there. I would like to say I do not recommend anyone actually drive in New York City. This is purely an example. <laughs> exactly. Now, we, we've said IoT, just kind of thrown the acronym around. Is that uh, how, how prevalent is that in driving edge computing or, the, or that more localized data processing infrastructure? So it's pretty prevalent when you get to very large scales. You know, you hear the, the phrase like smart cities thrown around a lot, and it's it's beyond, say, the Nest and, you know, two cameras that I may have in my house. You know, if we're talking about potentially millions of sensors, you know, within a city, you know, even a very uh, you know medium to small size city, you know, monitoring everything from has, has the garbage been picked up, what's the air quality, you know, what's the traffic light, is this traffic light still on, et cetera. You can imagine just the, the sheer volume of data that those generate and the potential issues for some of those IoT devices, for instance, things that detect, you know, gas leaks and things like that, if the latency target that they need is exceeded, would be quite bad. So it's a great example for me for edge computing, because not only does it require a lot of processing, because a lot of that data is just going to be everything's okay, everything's okay, everything's okay. And then eventually you'll get one that's, you know, a big flashing red alarm. You want to be able to process all that as locally as possible, because you don't want to ship that whole mass of data back. And really, unless it's a big issue, the outcome of the data is really only going to be of interest to the local area anyway. So the edge computing use case is is pretty strong for large-scale IoT. Another thought just popped in my head here, CDN, content delivery networks. Now, that paradigm is kind of like edge computing in that you're taking data and trying to position it closer to people. And so I know Netflix is big into this. Google does some of this as well. You've got caches of data that are quote unquote, close to users that are going to consume it. So you're reducing bottlenecks and so on by having copies uh, distributed around the globe of this content. But CDNs aren't edge computing, really. You've still got you know a good bit of internet to traverse before you're pulling your Netflix video in over the internet. How do CDNs and edge computing relate? So it's kind of interesting relationship there because CDNs are really what led me to become interested in edge computing in the first place because I really see edge computing as kind of the smarter brother of a CDN. CDN, you know, we're typically bringing data storage halfway of the way towards the user, right? Is the way I, I typically think about it. Whereas with the edge computing stuff, what we're really trying to do is bring compute and data storage resource absolutely as close as possible logically and physically to the user. So, you know, those 10 to 15 millisecond latency and, you know, under 10 miles away from a user in a city is the kind of deployment targets that you tend to see for, you know, an edge data center and potentially with multiple edge data centers, you know, serving, uh, you know, a city or a district or scaling up from there by adding more edge data centers to it. So I really think if you, if you take the, the core ideas of the CDN in that I can improve my performance and, you know, overall resource utilization by bringing this you know, video content as close as possible to the user. Edge computing is really the step up from that as it's bringing, how can we bring all of the benefits of cloud that we all enjoy, like being able to offload applications up there and access them from you know, wherever we are, and then bring that absolutely as close as possible to the end user. So there's, there's a pretty good relation there. I think um, 
you know, a lot of people who are currently deploying CDNs will probably move on to deploying those through this kind of edge computing infrastructure because it will be as close as possible to their users and the additional processing capability would let them do things like you know, encode video on the fly, do real-time applications, real-time video processing for live events, all that kind of stuff as well. question that came up in this section is why would we ship data into the cloud for processing if there's no need to centralize the data to share it with others? W- wouldn't it make better sense to keep it close for the people and the machines that actually need it and are going to use it? Now, I think there's an interesting counterpoint to that, which is, yeah, but public cloud, that's why we do that. That's why we're shutting down our data centers and moving all our apps to cloud. Why is this different? And and I think the difference is there's a distinction in the data itself and how useful that data is over time. And when we're dealing with the kind of data that drives edge computing, we're talking about data that decreases in usefulness extremely quickly. Um, Like in milliseconds, it can be no longer useful. If, If you add enough latency then the data really is no longer useful just that fast. And that's, uh, again, one of those kind of a different way of thinking about things. What grabbed your attention, Chris? I think just as Alex was talking and and yourself too, contributing to the conversation, I really thought that there's a lot of areas, if not kind of all of them, where it's really a hybrid model based on the use case where you have something local being processed or even just its normal infrastructure doing its thing with additional... I don't know, features, solutions, extensions to the solutions, et cetera, that are provided by an internet link or some kind of WAN link back to the cloud where you have this giant pool of compute that can crunch things. So I definitely see where there's things that are more real time that have to be done local. Like you said, the data is not useful if it's shipped off and aged out. But I don't really see an area where that would be kind of all that's going on. I think the hybrid model is really the key and understanding how the two can work together. There's no winners or losers as an example. It's really the success for edge computing. Well, as we've talked about what edge computing is, we've talked about a lot of the use cases for edge computing, some what what's not good for edge computing and then what is. Well, what does an edge computing network look like? What what's the infrastructure like? If I, is it is it basically just a data center or is it something that if I'm stepping into this as someone who's been running data centers for a long time I'd be like, "Oh, this is different. Give us some insight." I'd like to start by kind of splitting this into two halves I alluded to a little bit earlier because this really affects what the resulting network looks like quite a lot. So, if you were to think of kind of a hierarchical view of a cell network or, you know, LTE network, if you had at the top of the page kind of the provider's core network, then below that you had an individual cell site. And then below that you had the actual user's LTE device that's you know connecting to it and accessing the internet and doing all that fun stuff. So you would draw a horizontal line across that page between the cell site and the user's device. And that's what we would refer to as the wireless last mile network in this context. Everything above that line is owned by the operator, whether that is you know just a network operator, whether it's a network operator and a cloud operator, doesn't matter. And everything below that line is really owned by the user. So it's a so, wireless demarcation point, essentially. Yes, essentially, yes. So this just helps to visualize where these two categories go. So everything above that line is what I refer to as the infrastructure edge. So basically what this is, is um, this is the edge data center that we've been talking about. When I say edge data center, edge refers to the location 
and then the actual size of the data center in traditional you know data center parlance would probably be a micro data center i typically see them ranging from you know 50 to 150 kilowatts of gear and that is ideally positioned literally physically in the same building or joined to the equipment for that cell tower so you know as a data center although at a smaller scale than a centralized data center the idea behind it is to bring you know the benefits of the cloud that we enjoy like the you know elastic compute capacity ability to just offload massive amounts of processing data storage etc bringing that as close as possible to the user. So this is still owned by, for instance, it could be owned by a Verizon, it could be owned by a third party company, it could be owned by Amazon. It's a data center individually at a smaller scale, deployed as close as possible to the user, both you know physically and you know logically in terms of data transmission time. You know, places mm-hmm. like cable head end, cell sites, all that kind of stuff. I mean cell sites are the the pretty much uh, the kind of the hot button deployment position because you know everyone's going wireless and with 5G it's only going to get more skewed in that direction. That's the typical deployment site you hear kind of mooted for an edge data center. And then within, you know, within that edge data center classification, you might have a local data center, you know, local edge data center in this context that is that one deployed as close as possible. And then you may have a regional edge data center, which, uh, you know, is just a hierarchical level above that, which can aggregate data from multiple local edge data centers and, you know, it can become ever more complex from there on. It's, um, it's like a data center Ponzi scheme, you know, they just keep feeding <laughs> each other. But oh. <laughs> I was also doing Very some cool. napkin math, though, like 50 to 150K uh, kilowatts of power. That could that could be a whole row of what we would, if you've got crappy data center that's pulling maybe eight kilowatts per cabinet, that could be almost 20 different cabinets worth of gear. I originally was thinking uh, an edge data center of being like literally a cabinet, maybe two, but we're talking maybe a cage, a couple rows, something like that uh, as yeah. being kind of your average. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you, obviously you can, you can, you know, scale up or down from that depending on the individual deployment. But when you look at some micro data centers or micro modular data centers, as some people call them, that's the typical range I tend to see. I mean, 150 would obviously be, you know, really in the high that's end. Pretty big, yeah. <laughs> They're still pretty physically small units from the ones, you know, various, um, you know, proposed designs and things that may or may not exist in reality. But of the ones I've seen that actually exist, you know, 150, you know, 130, 150 on the high end is that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of power, right? Yeah, it's a lot of power. But if you consider some of our earlier conversation in this episode, a lot of data needs to be processed. So I'm assuming those the scenarios are you've got a lot of sensors out there. You're trying to do a lot of local processing. So you just need to throw a lot of CPU at it. And my, I just wanted to set the baseline for size because I think there's just something about the word edge that just immediately draws like home lab size. And so certainly a data center of any reasonable size is not going to be limited to 150 kilowatts. Like that's relatively tiny. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're often measured in the megawatts. So yeah, 150 kilowatts is huge when I think of edge as a word, but is a fraction of a you know full-on colo or a data center that you're running as a large enterprise just trying to set the tone because that could be that could be like four or five cabinets of just you know one new pizza box servers with you know two or three cabinets of network gear and some storage arrays attached to them. i mean it could be a reasonable stuff where you literally could have a person managing this you know with gold hands and that kind of jazz right and the, and the interesting thing about it is you know when we talk about hence the term micro data center right i like to think of it as you know uh, ideally sized large enough to be useful for the area that it's covering, right? I mean, by definition, mm-hmm. it's going to serve a local area. And then if you need to, say, scale it out across, you know, a city, you may have, you know, 10, 20, perhaps covering that city. You know, if you think about how many cell sites and cell towers actually 
provide service for somewhere like Chicago or even just, you know, like a suburban area, it's not just, you know, one big tower like it may have been with, uh, you know, 2G. It's it's a number of increasingly small sites, each one of which could be, you know, supplemented by a data center of that scale, right? Where does cloud, public cloud itself, fit into this hierarchy or, or, or does it not? Because it's edge computing and we've got these data locality and latency requirements, just public cloud no longer is a factor. So I think it fits in very well. A lot of people will talk about edge as if it's going to replace cloud or as if, you know, cloud won't let edge happen or, you know, there's some kind of battle going on there. But really, I see edge as really a local extension to the cloud. And it it is what you make of it in terms of how it interacts with, you know, the, the public cloud that we have today. I mean, you know, you can see the idea of like the video surveillance example we were talking about earlier. Maybe you store and process you know, all of that data as much as possible on the edge. And then perhaps you use the cloud to upload, you know, interesting footage. And that's your centralized point of you know access for everyone in the world. Right. So um, I, I look at it kind of a hierarchy. Ideally, we want to process and store stuff as close to the user as possible. But where it's useful or necessary to store it at a higher level, you know, in a centralized public cloud data center, then there's no issue doing that. You know, the two are um, complementary concepts in uh, in my book. One thing I wanted to briefly touch upon just before I pass it by was I talked about the stuff above that um, wireless last mile division line, if you will, all that stuff that's on the operator side, like, you know, the cell towers, the micro data centers we talked about, all that kind of thing. Now, when I typically talk about edge computing, that's what I'm really referring to because that's where I think, you know, the most benefit from the concept can be found. And, you know, we're all basically living in a cloud world and we want to bring those cloud benefits. Oh, I just got that song in my head, living in a cloud. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> you can play it at we, the end of the episode. We'll, say, we'll <laughs> sing that later. That'll be the Data Knots After Dark first edition. But please continue. <laughs> so I wanted to briefly talk about the stuff below that line. So like the actual user end devices. Sometimes you hear a term called the device edge, and it also works in concert with the infrastructure edge. So basically, the idea behind the device edge is we want to use the computing capability of actual devices. So things like smartphones or laptops or even the compute capability that's in an an autonomous car, for example, to do some of the processing that they require. You know, this is kind of the same model in my book as we have today with a lot of cases. Like we, We don't run pure thin client devices, right? Our, our smartphones, laptops, everything do a lot of processing themselves, and then they pass um, yeah. other aspects of processing up to the cloud. So it's, ki- it's kind of similar. Some people will talk about Device Edge as having also a collaborative element where multiple devices could locally pool their you know, spare resources to function like a kind of a very local cloud. But to me, that, that concept always seems kind of... Um, <laughs> limited by design because you're relying on things that are battery powered and you know it's it's yeah just, i can see my battery going dead because some other person is no i would be like opt out <laughs> not, not owning my device for that crap no way hey, 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 the crypto jackers need their bitcoin so <laughs> yeah grandma can check facebook later i'm not uh, i'm not giving up my juice <laughs> It's uh, you know it's kind of a perhaps a little bit of an oversimplification of that whole device edge as a concept, but that's generally how I, how I separate those two. I mean, I think that um, you know there are certainly cases like depending on how you define things. For instance, going back to our car example, maybe that you know the local definition of I, I need to brake now. Maybe you could class that as device edge processing. But to me, it's kind of stretching the definition of edge a little bit to really just be device processing. And that's something to me that, you know, we've always done. So it's I'm kind of glad you brought that up. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking that's just 
normal things doing their thing. That's, you know, like, that's, that's processing. You know? It's <laughs> infrastructure running its intended workload. It doesn't really have anything to do with edge or whatnot. Uh, it may send telemetry up and say, hey, I, I braked and this is why. But again, that's just kind of standard infrastructure 101. Yeah. So like like any of these edge terms, there are some you know competing definitions going around, but that from research that I've done and the thinking I've done around it, that's really what I've come up with. So that, that's really why I tend to focus on more this infrastructure edge side of things, which is what I see is the most beneficial and most interesting you know thing in edge that we can be doing if that makes sense otherwise you know if you sorry Jordan, i was just going to say it's one of those terms that if we start calling everything edge then nothing is edge right unless it's serverless edge because that wait <laughs> now, now I have to ignore that everyone listening i'm just making things up at this point to keep it spicy now alex you've talked about cell towers and 5g and lte and so on now i gotta say when i hear wireless networking i don't think low latency real time woo so explain how all that fits together and how key wireless is to edge computing. What I really see as um, how edge computing relates to wireless is wireless is really the ideal beneficiary of edge computing, right? So the goal of edge computing being to improve end user performance, namely latency, by putting that compute and storage resource as close to the end users as possible. What type of networks are the majority of users connecting today through and increasingly in the future going to be using primarily wireless networks, especially as you know, 5G and more densified cellular networks come about. So really, the way I see it is, you know, it's, it's a wireless world. It's going to be an increasingly wireless world, especially on the cellular side of things, but also with Wi-Fi, LoRa, you know, any, any of those other networks as well. And really, edge computing is ideally placed to really benefit that. You know, you talk about um, how I've never seen, uh, you know, a a uh, example of uh, wireless networks that really make me think low latency. But if you think about, for instance, going back to that car example, it's, it's going to be difficult to uh, convince the uh, regulatory body that uh, your autonomous car should be able to drive down the highway with a big spool of Cat5 hanging out the back um, <laughs> to let it connect back to the network. You can try it, but um, <laughs> maybe a trip hazard. So that's a great example where that's going to need very low latency, purely wireless-only connectivity, and it really applies also for so many devices that we talk about, you know, like not just, you know, existing devices, but also the, the cars, drones, um, you know, very small sensors that are deployed in very hard to reach locations based on battery or solar power, all those kinds of things as well. So that's why I really like to bring about the um, example of the edge data center at the cell site, because it has the potential there to really benefit a very large number of users that by definition are within the local area, because you can define that by the coverage area of the, uh, of the cell site and really let them actually use these kinds of new applications as well with a respectable amount of latency. And 5G's got so many different uh, styles of uh, bandwidth and frequency that they're using for different use cases now. So it's not it's not like 5G is just this one thing with you know, certain transport characteristics. There's going to be some very high bandwidth, uh, lower latency applications for isolated 5G cells and so on that I, I suspect are going to come into play here. Yeah, absolutely. And w one other thing that's interesting also with 5G is that one thing that really piqued my interest with the whole concept of, hey, I've got a cell site, and what if I can put this uh, you know, micro data center there, is if you think about how these 5G networks are being talked about, being architected at the moment, it's that they will rely on you know, SDN, NFV, and the other ways of virtualizing you know, critical network functions into you know, uh, VNFs that can just run on a standard you know x86 or, or arm or you know other 
mass market processor architecture. So once you've got that, having that micro data center there, that micro data center may end up actually operating part of the cellular network as well. And then that lets the operators look at things like, hey, you know, if um, we have uh, three different operators here, you know, can we co-locate inside this same micro data center and lower all of our deployment costs? So it's actually practical for us to deploy these networks as well. So that's that's also an interesting aspect that having that kind of data center capacity at the cell site lets you do, and especially with things like um, not just network functions, but also signal processing and things like that that people have been doing with CRAN. If you can do all that within the modular data center, you get a lot more flexibility as an operator there as well. Well, Alex, I thank you very much for coming on Datanauts and giving us this intro and overview to edge computing, the use cases, what it's good for, what it's not good for. It feels like we're going to hear about more and more and more of this as it comes uh, comes along with uh, IoT growing, 5G networks, where we can finally see that deployments are about to happen, et cetera. So it does feel like this is going to become increasingly real. And and right, maybe we do have to sort out names and definitions. Do we want to call it edge computing or something else? Anyway, Alex, are you uh, social? Uh, do you blog? How can people follow you? So uh, my blog is at uh, networkarchitecture2020.com. Um, I need to write there a little more often, but you can read some of my uh, mostly coherent ramblings um, on those fine pages. On the Twitter, I am Network Arch, which is uh, Network A-R-C-H, not Network Arse but Network Arch 2020. And uh, yeah, keep in touch. That's great. Thank you very much, Alex. And that is it for today's episode of the Data Knots Podcast. I am Ethan Banks. You can follow me at packetpushers.net. And Chris is wallnetwork.com. And for more of our Data Knots shows about infrastructure engineering, cannonball into the deep end of the pool that is packetpushers.net. You will find the Data Knots talking about storage architecture, cloud native, automation, chocolate cake, microservices, orchestration, and so much more. Until then, may your server lights blink, your boss remember the speed of light is a thing, and your cables be cleanly managed. That makes you look yeah. like oh, I can see into the future. I'm amazing. <laughs> I have a giant way to go, buddy. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs>